It's time once again for another episode of All That's Jazz, the podcast that explores everything in the world of jazz. And here now is your host, Alan Scott. Hello and welcome to another episode of All That's Jazz. Today, our guest is Carlos Enriquez. He's a celebrated bassist and composer, a member of the Jazz at Lincoln Center Orchestra for over two decades. And on the Tiger Turn label, he has his latest release out called The South Bronx Story. of a retrospective of social and cultural history of his old stomping grounds, the South Bronx. He draws from that his personal Puerto Rican heritage and brings a wonderful story into the mix. This is his third album as a leader. Carlos, thank you for joining us here on All That's Jazz. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for having me. Thank you. Indeed. Uh, I, I will tell you, it truly is a pleasure to have this opportunity to speak to you. And you also get the honor of being the very first New Yorican to be on this podcast. Oh, yeah. All right. <laughs> That's cool. I'm, I'm very happy about that. So for the benefit of uh, some of our listeners who may not have a connection to the East Coast, what's a New Yorican? Uh, New Yorkian is a, a Puerto Rican who wasn't born in Puerto Rico and was born in New York from family descents of Puerto Rico. So basically, you're born in New York, but your mom and dad are from Puerto Rico, and you're a New Yorkian. Yeah. <laughs> what, what a what a wonderful moniker to uh, put on your name badge. Uh, yeah, right. <laughs> you know, it, it's kind of a badge of honor, I think. Uh, I, I have a, the highest regard and respect for the Puerto Rican culture. Well, you know, it, it's, I, I think, a culture and uh, a part of our multicultural United States that, that really says, you know, while certain classes of people or certain backgrounds and ethnic groups have had their ups and downs, I think predominantly what comes to the surface are really more of the ups than the downs. And mm -hmm. it's, I, I think, something to celebrate, uh, especially when you get to know more about the people that are involved from any particular ethnic or race uh, grouping that makes the difference. And I would assume sure. yeah. that's exactly how you feel, especially in putting together this album called The South Bronx Story. That's correct. You know, uh, this album, you know, basically talks about that. It, it talks about the social elements of my upbringing and uh, the different events uh, that the South Bronx took, you know, the different turns and obstacle courses that, that it, uh, it faced. And um, again, like you said, you know, even with all that, you know, you look at the, the bright side of things and you start seeing how uh, the different cultures always prevail. You know, they always end up winning and, 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 and moving forward. So, you know, this album talks about that in many different ways. 
It sounds like just in your description of it and in some of the press that is out there that you really are very proud of this heritage uh, and of this experience that you've had growing up in the Bronx. Yeah. Um, yeah, totally. Um, I'm, I'm very happy to be from the South Bronx and honored. I was raised there. I, I, I basically got all my musical knowledge from being a part of the South Bronx, being a part of the Board of Education, you know, studying, you know, the different programs offered to me as a young child and being able to, uh, to receive that and to learn and to see other people succeed was also memorable when I was young, you know, and I was able to have this type of feeling that I was a, I could accomplish something, you know, able to do more than what was seen in the neighborhood, you know, and mm-hmm. it, it was very interesting. So when you were growing up, obviously you've been influenced by the Puerto Rican culture and certainly the Latin-esque type of music that uh, is so much a part of you, your soul, and your fabric right now. Were you always in touch with Latin music, or were there other influences uh, as well? It was, I mean, it was always, it was either R&B and Latin music growing up in the house. We had a lot of jazz records, too. So it, it was, a, it was a, a melting pot of different styles of music, but it was, you know, I can remember, you know, listening to James Jameson, you know, being played. And then all of a sudden it would like change and it would be Tito Puente. And then it would change. It would be like a, a, a Louis Armstrong record or Frank Sinatra record, you know. So my mom kept it, you know, she kept it very fresh. And uh, she had a good, my mom and dad had very good taste in music. And I think that itself was the starting point of my growth, of my musical understanding, you know, because as a kid, I was absorbing all this great music. You know, I would hear a Nelson Riddle arrangement with Frank Sinatra. Then all of a sudden, you know, I would hear, you know, Motown music. And then all of a sudden, they would just jump to, you know, some some good classic 1940s mambos from Tito Puente. And, and it just showed me the difference in how this music played. But at the same time, the, you know, it showed me the integration of, of all this stuff. You know, growing up with all these kids, I was around, you know, African-Americans, South Americans, Jewish, Italian, Irish. And, and it just, it basically just taught me about the integration of music and people. You know? When you were younger, were you influenced by your parents? Were they musicians? Uh, or, or what put you on the path toward music? Other than obviously digging it and having a great time with it, uh, was there any other kind of influence or maybe a relative that was uh, in the business? My dad and mother were, were both music lovers, and, and my mom was a, a dancer. So before she joined the Board of Education, while she was in Puerto Rico, she was a, a, a TV dancer, and she would be a choreographer too, to many of the great singers of Puerto Rico. And my dad, before he entered the service, he, was, he played trombone. So it was always a part of our family. And I guess, you know, my dad wanted me, as a young child, wanted me to experience music in, a very edu- in an educated form. You know, he wanted me to study uh, piano and, and take up the guitar. And that's how I slowly began to, to absorb and become the sponge 
of, of that time as a child, learning the music and playing classical guitar, you know, before I switched to bass. Well, I'll tell you, you, you may have started out slowly absorbing, but man, then you got on a fast track and you yeah. really progressed through the different levels of music and uh, found yourself, for example, uh, by the age of just 19 as a bassist for the Lincoln Center Jazz Orchestra. That's, I, I think, quite amazing. Yeah, yeah it, it, that was a real fast track. You know, I first started working with Winton at the age of 16. We were doing, I remember we, when I first got called, he was doing a lot of fundraisers. And at the time, either they were for Jazz at Lincoln Center or they were for the Clintons, you know, the, the Clinton Foundations at the time. And, and he, he would use young musicians for these, uh, for these fundraisers. You know, it was, it was an unbelievable experience. You know, one led to two, to three, to four. And then it, it just, forget about it. I just, I got called to play with the band, with the orchestra in uh, 98. I was still 17. And during the rehearsal process in Aspen, Colorado, I had turned 18. Great. It was a great uh, experience. But it was the fast track. You're not lying. I was, I was, I was very inexperienced, you know, and, and there were a lot of things that I, I needed to learn. But I learned them fast. But it was, like you said, it was the bullet train. So, <laughs> apparently, how did you get involved with Winton to begin with? I met Winton uh, through a friend, uh, my friend Stephen Okendo in high school. He he told me that Winton was, um, they were rehearsing. And uh, he asked me if I wanted to attend the rehearsal. So I went. And uh, and that was, that was it. That was mind-blowing. Mm -hmm. The first time I got to really sit in front of a jazz orchestra and just hear how they played. And, and I was mesmerized by... Uh, the bassist at the time who was playing with them, his name is uh, Rodney Whitaker. And uh, Rodney at the time was, was just, he was at his prime. And, and it was unbelievable what, what he was doing on the bass. So, you know, that really opened me up. Like I was in shock, you know, because I didn't know what you could do with the bass like that. I mean, I knew what you could do with the bass, but to really be in front of somebody who <laughs> was really playing it, you know, just all the sound that was coming out of the instrument, I, I didn't even believe the bass could do what it did. It, it forget about it. it. It blew me away. And, and I, I, I got close to Winton there. You know, I, I became very good friends with him. And, and, you know, one thing led to another. He invited me to many of his, like, you know, home jam sessions. He would have these home jam sessions. Um, he would tell me, like, what music to listen to. And, you know, he kind of gave, gave me all the cliff notes, you know. Mm -hmm. He kind of told me, look, listen to this, figure this out you know work on your hearing here you know don't worry about this learn how to do this so eventually you know i kind of he kind of molded me, my hearing you know he helped me get to another level you know i was already at a point where you know music was already at a you know i was way you know past the proficiency level because i was playing a lot of latin music at a young age you know i was playing with eddie parmeri tito puente you know and, and we were doing a lot of work in the city and traveling, but to play jazz and to play the style of music that Winton was playing was very advanced. Winton was very crucial in the part of, of, of helping mold my, uh, my knowledge of jazz at a very fast rate. 
Tell us about the basis or the influence that came to mind for you to produce your third album as a leader, especially mm-hmm. as it relates to the South Bronx story. Why were you compelled to tell that story? You know, it's um, one day I was, what was I doing? I was, there was a documentary either on Netflix or on one of these, I don't know if it was YouTube, but it was a documentary called Rubble King. Rubble King. And I remember Felipe Luciano was narrating, was a narrator on this documentary. And the documentary was about the South Bronx and it spoke about the gangs and it spoke about, you know, events that really changed the outlook and the outcomes of the South Bronx. And after watching that, I was very inspired to tell my story about the South Bronx. And not so much a personal story, but just to tell the story of the events that made me proud of the South Bronx. You know, whether if it was negative or positive, because, you know, the South Bronx had its defining moments of how one type of uh, culture uh, succeeded and prevailed during a negative event. And, you know, with this, this documentary, you know, it spoke a lot about the gangs. And there was this one gang called the Ghetto Brothers. And the Ghetto Brothers, they were, they were kind of like the peace, you know, the truth. They, they try to keep people together and they, they didn't want to really cause any trouble. You know, I spoke about one guy there named uh, Cornell Benjamin. And I wrote a song called Black Benji. That was his nickname, Black Benji. You know, his story was very interesting to me because, you know, he was he was solely an, uh, a peace uh, a peacemaker. You know, all he did was, you know, when there was a when there whenever there was a turf war, you know, he would try to go in and he would try to fix things. Uh, you know, eventually it backfired and, and and he was murdered. And you know, but but what happened was, which was very interesting, when 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 this gentleman was murdered, he it created this uproar right of revenge you know like it was just going to be a bloodbath it was you know it was going to be the nastiest of all nasty but it was cornell benjamin's mother who who begged the leaders of these gangs to 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 get together and, and to to talk about the problems that are affecting the individuals who are fighting against each other so they went you know they they i don't want to be you know i it's crazy i it's, this story is unbelievable. I mean, I just... Okay, they went to a Boys and Girls Community Center on Hull Avenue in the South Bronx. It's still there. To to meet up with all the gang leaders. And they videotaped this. Hmm. Not one police officer was there. That was one of the requirements. And when you start hearing them talk about their issues, each and every one of them were complaining about the same thing. And it was hmm. about 
poverty. It was about protecting their family. It was about providing. And everyone had the same issue. Everybody spoke about the same issue, you know, and they kept, they kept saying, well, we had to do this. You know, we had to fight this person to get this for my mom, for this mom. And it was unbelievable how everybody in that um, meeting kind of came to a consensus of, you know, guys, you know, we're, we're fighting each other, but we're not getting anywhere. We need to fix this. So, you know, it was, it was kind of that, that process of learning about this and really getting in about the South Bronx and understanding the community that, that made me really write this project because it, it, it spoke a lot about me. It spoke a lot about what I saw in the South Bronx. It spoke about, a lot about people and, and things that I saw, you know, like I, I didn't understand what uh, having a jacket with colors meant, you know, in the 80s. You know, I didn't know that was gang territorial. I didn't know, you know, what the flags were. I didn't know what the names were, you know. And in the South Bronx, we had so much graffiti. I didn't know what specific graffiti meant, you know, and, and where can I go? Can I be in this neighborhood? Can I not be in this neighborhood? And it was just a learning process. And, and I learned, you know, you became street smart at a young age. And, and all this helped me be the person that I am with, you know, the musical knowledge that I learned and picked up. So was some of this part of your mission to set the record straight and say, look, you know, this place isn't all that bad. Here's, here's the good and the wonderful parts about it. And yes, through the process, you recognize some of the negativity, but that wasn't the main focus of what you did in this album. Yeah, it, it just you, it, you. Yeah, you you hit it right on the nail. It's 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 a reflection of where I was where I was raised, and it, a, a reflection of the good and the bad. But understanding that the that the negative parts had also a bright light because it it showed how you know the Latinos and the African Americans got together and prevailed through all these obstacles with the system and. And all the all the backlash that was really being, um, you know, given to all these people, you know, through poverty because they, they you know, it's just, it was a tough time. But you kind of start seeing how a community began to get together and to, to form, you know, something, a structure, you know. And, and, and it's, you know, it's kind of like seeing something really grow and, and become one. You know, and, and it was, it's very interesting, you know, when, when I talk about these different, um, all the titles have a specific meaning, you know, like uh, Moses on the cross. about Robert Moses and the expansion program of the Cross Bronx. Hydrants Love All on this album talks about the many days uh, that I, in the summer where I would go out with my brother and we would pop open the, the hydrants and, and, and just have fun, you know, with the water, you know, just gushing mm -hmm. out of these hydrants. <laughs> Thank you. 
Mama knows that I am sick The water washes me all day Sunlight playing with my friends Mama knows that I am safe Agua La naturaleza del mundo So, you know, the story is, you know, it has its ups and downs, but it's still, you know, it shows you what a community could do when they get together. And, you know, I, I think you're also uh, telling a story through each of the tracks because it, it does have a backstory, if you will, to the title of each track. And some of those you've mm -hmm. already mentioned, like Moses on the Cross and mm -hmm. Burrow of Fire, for example, the tempo of that, and then the siren, you can hear it in the mm -hmm. background. Uh, and I think that had something to do with your dad showing you around to buildings that were set on fire by owners to collect insurance. Well, I mean, during that time, in the 80s, I still remember, well, you know, the, the, the decade of fire, uh, of fires in the Bronx was in the 70s to, to the early part of the 80s. I was born in 79, but I remember like 85, 86, I still remember the, the burnt down buildings on Fox Street and St. Anne's Avenue. And, you know, my dad would tell me, yeah, oh, I remember this building on fire. Ooh, this one was a rough one. You know, it was almost like a... a like a spectacle, you know, it was like, you know, showing people, you know, hey, check this one out. This one was burned in 81, you know, and it's just, you know, when you learn this, I mean, I didn't know the story then. I was too young and, and nobody really expressed it or explained it the way now people are explaining it and understanding how the system was. You know, people, you know, these landlords were making money and they were in cahoots with, you know, with the fire department. They were in cahoots with the city. And at the same time, they were paying off members of the community to start the fire. And they would start the fire from the top of the building so that it would mess the building up. Because when remember, when, when, when a fire starts from the top, the uh, fire department have to spray water. You know, they have to spray water from the top. So if the fire didn't mess up the building, the water did. Mm. You know, it, it was just it's, it's an interesting story, you know, to, to, to research because it's Man, when, you know, communities got together to really help, you know, on my album, there's the famous photo taken by Joe Conzo Jr. It's a photo of a, of a couple abandoned burnt building on Charlotte Avenue. And over the building, there's a big Puerto Rican flag that lays over it. And that moment was done because, if I'm not mistaken, Ronald Reagan was coming into the South Bronx to, to try to gain votes for his uh, party. Hmm. And a lot of people from that neighborhood said, you know what, let's get together and let's demonstrate and show them how much we're suffering. And I think with all that, it started changing. And, and, and that, that picture that I have on my album is the first start of the private homes that Charlotte Avenue was offering when they started rebuilding 
the South Bronx. And it's, it's just a, it's an unbelievable you know, story. Well, you took it to a human level, if I'm correct on this, with the background of the uh, track called Soy uh, Humano. Yeah, uh, I'm human. Tell yeah. me about that. I'm, I'm human. I mean, that to I'm me human. is essential to the work. Yeah, it, it basically talks, it, it, man, it, 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 it could be, Soy Humano could be reflected in any culture, but with this one to the South Bronx, it just basically talks about you know, living in a system that basically it's almost like you're suppressed, you know, and, and it's almost like you're put in a position where it's almost like you're bottlenecking, man. It's like you can't get yourself moving. There's no way out. And it talks about being uh, enslaved to a system that you can't get out of, that you really have to fight and fight to, to, to get out of. And I, I remember seeing seeing this firsthand as a child, you know, I would see, and it's not, you know, when I say the system, it, it's, uh, it, it's, it's almost um, philosophical too, because, you know, my mom worked for the Board of Education. She was a paraprofessional. She assisted teachers. And my dad worked for um, the VA hospital. We weren't middle class. We were still poor, but, you know, we, would, they were, we were doing okay. But the one thing that I noticed is we had to fight. I remember my mom had to lie to the housing authorities that we didn't have a father because mm. it was the only way that they were allowed my mother to have an apartment. It was, it was crazy. They wouldn't allow my dad to be a part of my family. You know, if he was, if, if he was a part of the family, then the, the system would have just changed us and put us in a different living quarter. It was just crazy. It, it was, you know, you start thinking about things like this and you start thinking about, structure and how much value having a family makes a difference to to kids when you're raising them in the south Bronx. and you hear all these stories there's many there's many stories of fatherless families because of the system having you know that type of niche that you needed to you know it, you, it was like a requirement it was ridiculous but that's just one thing you know there are many other other um examples of 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 soy humano that that i could think of que yo tuve que vivir Aunque fui víctima del engaño Hoy yo traigo la verdad para compartir When when I wrote the lyrics and, and I spoke to uh, Jeremy Bosch So Jeremy Bosch is the vocalist on the album He also plays flute But Anthony Almonte who plays percussion is also a vocalist great singer and and you know when i asked for their help to edit you know my lyrics just to convey the message you know we were talking about this and and it's it's just it's it's just crazy how you know you would think people would or institutes would would, would keep people or society stuck in a certain way and it's uh, you know that song talks heavy about that well musically you demonstrate respect and love and honor for example, you were already talking about your father. Uh, you have the track Guajeo de Papi. Yeah, Guajeo de Papi. Yeah, it talks about my dad. My dad, 
<clears throat> man, I love him. He, um, you know, he's a veteran, a veteran, a Vietnam vet. So, you know, you could imagine this guy's like a, a walking, walking <laughs> human steel. You know, he's like, he's hardcore. He, in the sense that, that he's, you know, he's just very strong. He, he, he doesn't fall fast. But, but the one thing that I loved about him during the, the, the young, you know, when I was young is whenever we had problems, it's funny, he would, you know, everything was cool. You know, he's like, don't worry about it, man. It's going to work out. Don't worry about it. You know, it was always that vibe. Like, ah, don't worry about it. You know, don't sweat it. You know, he always had that vibe. It was so cool, you know. And I'm, and I'm like, Dad, how are we going to say, Dad, don't worry about it. I got this. It'll, it'll work out. something i learned now you know as a father that i am you know I, I i take that example and i use it i'm like man don't stress yourself out enjoy life you know you got to live life papa that was a, a saying that he used to say and i say it all the time you know you got to live life papa you know don't um you know don't don't hold yourself back on things you know and and guajel that papi basically talks about that i remember you know hanging with him on, on lines to pick up government cheese and all that stuff and he's just cool he's like yeah we got to do this but you know We'll make a good sandwich out of this, man. And, you know, it's, uh, you know, he's, he, he's, a, he's a class act, a great, great father. And he's, you know, he's still around. He's still working for the VA. He doesn't want to retire. He just, you know, he's running like an energizer bunny. But, you know, it's, it's always an honor to, to talk about him. It's nice to have that kind of a father figure and someone that made a difference in your life and you pay mm -hmm. the respect to him through that tune. Speaking of oh, respect, yeah. sure. tell me about Mama Lorraine. Wow. So Mama Lorraine, her name, this is uh, Lorraine Montenegro. Lorraine. Okay. So mind you, I never knew, I never got to meet Lorraine. Lorraine was the co-founder of the United Bronx Parents, which was an institute that um, helped single parents who were uh, addicts, who had addiction issues that, that needed time to, to fix, you know, heroin addicts or people that were dealing with crack that needed to help clean themselves and get to a better place while they also had children. And Lorraine did a lot for the community. She was a heavy, heavy speaker and activist. She, I saw her. Dig this. I, I, I first saw her on the Rubble King documentary hmm. when there was a scene where they had all these gang members and there were only two ladies. There was an elder lady whose name was Antonelli, who I found out was Lorraine's mother. And in that video was Lorraine, a very young, beautiful Lorraine. And I'm, I'm looking at this lady. I'm like, man, first of all, this lady is so she's beautiful and she's hanging out with all these tough gang members, man. And the minute she opens her mouth, everyone shuts up. It was unbelievable how much respect they had for her. But the thing about the story that's really interesting is that I find out as I'm doing the research about the South Bronx, the gentleman 
that I spoke earlier about Joe Conzo Jr., the gentleman who took the photography of that photo that's on my album, that's his mother. I didn't know that. And it, I, I started putting, you know, these pieces together. And I was like, oh, my God, Joe, I didn't know that Lorraine was your mom. And he's like, oh, yeah, you know, it was the, it was the second marriage. You know, she, she remarried. She had a different name. And I was like, Joe, I told Joe, I said, Joe, I'm writing a song about your mother. And I didn't even know that she was your mom, dude. And, hmm. you know, the, the, I wrote a ballad about her. so inspirational to the South Bronx to so many people and um, unfortunately Hurricane Maria while living in Puerto Rico Hurricane Maria totaled her her place and she she actually passed away from complications so it was a tragic loss but but she meant so much uh, to the South Bronx and uh, Mama Lorraine needed to be uh, honored definitely it's a, it's a wonderful story so speaking of respect, just a couple more of the uh, tracks here that I'd like to touch on. You pay homage and respect to uh, Jerry Gonzalez on Fort Apache. Yeah, Jerry and Andy, yep. As a, as a, as a young musician, Andy and Jerry were very inspirational and, and key members of my life, especially Andy. I remember many, many moments where Andy would pick me up and take me uh, to many of the shows that he was performing. And I would sit right next to Andy on stage. Unbelievable how, how that experience was, being able to see him play firsthand. I really enjoyed that. That, that was very, very useful. And Jerry, Jerry was, was unbelievable and a sweetheart to me. He treated me like his kid. I got to play with the Fort Apache band at the five spot, at the old five spot, at the age of 15. Mm. There's a YouTube video of that. I can't believe it that I'm playing. I know, like, again, the whole fast track bullet train learning. Man, that was unbelievable ha having had that chance to play that, you know. But those guys, I missed them, you know. I missed them so much, and, and they, they've uh, contributed so much to the jazz and Latin jazz world that, you know, again, I, I had to honor them. One of the last tracks, or the last track, first of all, on the album, is one that brought a smile to my face uh, in so many ways. Hip hop conclave. What the, <laughs> yeah. the first thing that uh, brought the smile to my face was the fact that you were quoted somewhere in an interview about like 
uh, don't tell Winton I'm playing the electric bass. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I joke about that with him. You know, it's um, uh, it's it's a it's a it's a joke that we always have. Uh, you know, Winton in the seventies was a heavy, heavy R and B and funk player lover. I mean, he had all, he had his band, uh, and there was a lot of com- competitions. You know, in New Orleans. You know, we joked about it, but I, I I play a lot of electric bass. I played a lot. You know, before I joined Winton's band, I was I was really playing a lot of electric bass and recording a lot of electric bass. I wrote this song, you know. So Hip Hop Con Clara, originally, I dig this, so this is a fun fact. Mm. I originally recorded it on electric bass, but didn't really like the vibe. So I had to, I, re- I re-recorded it again with Upright. There were two different versions, but, you know, perf- I performed it live on electric. And, um, and that was a joke, you know, because I used the word hip hop and I had an electric bass. So, you know, it was like, uh-oh, when it's going to come and get me. But, you know, at, to be honest with you, Winton, he really didn't enjoy that one because he, he remembers a lot of those songs. You know, what, what I did with that, um, with that tune, I mean, with that song itself, I took all the very, you know, monumental bass sounds, like, you know, very, you know, bass riff, you know, Rapper's Delight, you know, the, the uh, what is it, the, the Eighth Wonder, the Ninth Wonder. There was a couple of, um, of songs that I kind of compiled together. But at the same time, I wrote my own lyric talking about using words. It talks about words. You know, I think the lyrics is words are the mission of our mm-hmm. salvation. You know, hear my pregones, which means hear my, hear my, my story of tears and laughter. The song reflects the usage of lyrics, poetry, and words to fight all of the suppressed problems that you know latinos and african-americans dealt with and this song basically reflects that through the lyrics and the words and at the same time i'm just having fun trying to relive those hip-hop moments you know through you know with a latin twist to it the mission of our salvation Hear my pregones of tears and laughter One must face the fight beyond the battle You can say the worst and change the way I wanted to keep that Latin influence, like that 1970s Fania, hardcore, you know, John, Johnny Pacheco, you know, Ray Barreto, Roberto Roena vibe in there. So in this release, you did use a number of the musicians that you had on your previous album, which was uh, Dizzy Conclave. Are you finding yeah. a pattern here that maybe you're going to repeat possibly for another album in reassembling the same group or at least... A you know, variation. I, love, I, I love this band. You know, you know, my, my hopes, you know, and I've been talking to Winton about this for a while, is just to try to have an an extension of Jasmine Center where there's a Latin department uh, or a Latin division where, where I could, you know, 
do more of my music and also reflect more of uh, the historical side of of what Latin jazz is. So, you know, the Nanette, you know, I'm going to stick with them as much as I can, try to create more music, create more stories, uh, more projects like this. You know, the Bronx, there's more stories about the Bronx, you know. So, I mean, I'm sure there's going to be another project where I maybe talk about the train, the train lines, you know, different, you know, the one, the two, the six, you know, maybe mm-hmm. something like that. Or, you know, it's, 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 it's going to be something. And, and you know, I'm going to I'm definitely going to keep the members. I love them all. They're the best. You know, <laughs> they make me they make me look great. You know, that's what I love about them. They, they just they do everything right, man. Well, you're on the right track so to speak, to borrow the <laughs> metaphor on this uh, with what you've been doing, Carlos. It's pretty amazing. I wanted to ask you, uh, I know that Grammys are right around the corner. How are you feeling about that? You know, I, I've, this is what, let's see, my third album. I've submitted all my albums to the Grammys. And, I, you know, I, if it hits, it hits. If it doesn't, I'm still, I'm, I'm very happy and proud of the projects that I, you know, that I've released Um Let's see, you know, it's, it's, uh, I hope that whoever voted, you know, was able to listen to the project and understand the, you know, the beauty of it. You know, I'm rooting for myself. I'm rooting, but nothing's going to change. You know, if, if it, I'm a hundred percent proud of, of, of what was done, the music and the story will definitely outlast a Grammy. It'll stand the test of time. There's no question yeah. about this release. Yeah. Uh, it's fantastic. How would uh, some of our listeners learn more about Carlos Enriquez? You know, they could, they could find me through my website. It's carlosenriquezmusic.com. You know, I, I try to um, post and update tour scheduling and, and different stories. And, of course, you know, I, I'm, I'm the poster child of Jazz Lincoln Center. So, I mean, there are many stories and many, but a lot of information about me through Jazz Lincoln Center. And, you know, I've been there for quite, you know, 21 years and I started very young there. So, you know, that's, that's my second family. And, um, you know, Winton's like a second dad to me. You know, I love the guy, man. He's, he's just, he's, he's the best, you know, and it's great. The older I get, the more I could bother him, the more I could, you know, you know be more competitive for him. When I was young, I was like, you know, oh, that's Wynton Marcellus. But now I'm, you know, 42. I'm like, man, I'm, <laughs> you know, I can mess with him so much now. It's, it's, it's awesome. And he just turned 60 about a month ago. So right. it's, it's great. Yeah. It's a good, it's a good hang. And, you know, people could look up, look me up and, you know, with, with the, with the website and Jazz Lincoln Center, I think, I think the information is there. I'm on social media too, Facebook and I, Instagram. I'm out, you know, I voice my, uh, my what they call it stories and, and stuff like that i talk about when i'm on tour and you know do these little blogs you know so mm-hmm. for all that you have done thus far in your career and especially mm-hmm. with this album uh, the south bronx story it's been a distinct pleasure and honor to spend some time oh, with man. you here thank you so much man you yeah. have a good day man having you be a guest on all that's jazz is fantastic all right brother thank you i appreciate that Thanks for listening to this episode of All That's Jazz with Grammy-nominated bassist Carlos Enriquez. We'd like to thank Ben Sedrin for the use of Mr. P's Shuffle as our theme song. And visit us again next time for another interesting conversation on All That's Jazz. If you liked today's episode, please leave us a five-star rating on the streaming service you use. All That's Jazz is available on every major streaming app, including Podbean, 
Apple Podcast and Spotify, as well as Facebook and online at allthatsjazz.net.